So we were we were just uh, talking about the systemic rivalry between the United States right. and China, and uh, right. we're discussing the possibility of uh, global power competition and how. What is your take on on the likelihood of a second? Uh, so basically, Cold War 2.0. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I lost status, but I'm still here. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I don't know. I was, I was, um, I had moved on to um, the cost of actual direct conflict. That is to say, uh, yes, we would continue to try to um, avoid being um, hostage to supply chains that that uh, keep us restrained by um, China, but uh, but but the the base the real that would that would not be a problem. We will just find new ways to source everything we do. But the real question is whether there could be military conflict between the U.S. and China at some point. Uh, did I get into that, or does that where I drifted off? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is, um, in fact, what uh, interests me most is uh, that uh, it's not just a matter whether uh, China is projected to become uh, econo global economic power number one. But what interests interests me more is uh, the disruptive potential of uh, power, global power such as China. What might be, uh, in your view, the worst case scenario for the global affairs in case that uh, there is a systemic coordination of disruptive power between Moscow and Beijing? That's the one question I have. And the second is, so basically it's sufficient for China even to remain uh, active as uh, global power number two. There is enough uh, disruptive potential, in my view, uh, you know, being, being uh, delivered that way to the global system. And then again, um, in connection to it, what is in your view, uh, the best strategy for the United States. Will uh, Washington rely on the traditional allies? And you've uh, outlined already some of these uh, fluid reconfigurations. Or will it be um, looking for new partners, for new allies? Will it be an institutionalized um, cooperation or rather just, you know, highly political one without the necessity to create uh, institutions or so new institutions and just to give you one example they have been calls for Asian NATO whereas in my view uh, it's unrealistic I don't see for instance an Asian NATO emerging you know out of uh, the current uh, situation so I think that it's going to be much more ad hoc reconfiguration uh, coordinated in a highly uh, ranking political manner but not institutional one. So what is your question? Yeah. Well, um, the first thing is there will be continuing apprehension and fear of a possible 
physical confrontation, that is, a military uh, conflict with, with live firepower of some kind. I think that's the least likely alternative for either the U.S. or China because it's so costly. Um, it is really, really costly to have uh, an engagement that involves firing of weapons. The Iraq invasion by the U.S. was far more costly than anybody dreams when when the Bush administration went ahead um, with it. I mean, they estimated 50 billion, and it was probably uh, ultimately in the trillions. It, um, China knows that. We know that. So, so open firepower confrontation, not so likely. Um, the ability of China to disrupt uh, or, or impede or manipulate the U.S. Uh, communication system, power grid, um, machinery for managing our water supplies, yeah, it's, it's great. But our power to do the same to China is also great. So we have a kind of um, mutually assured destruction scenario, like the old days of the Cold War and nuclear missiles in Russia and the U.S. It, China can experiment, uh, and it recently did when the Russians, um, when the Russians exploited the solar winds uh, hacking episode. China tried to hitch, hitch a ride. But then the Chinese didn't pursue it. I think our ability to reach into the into China's system is great. So neither China nor the U.S. really wants to do uh, systemic damage to each other um, through non-military means. So we're kind of at, at a stalemate situation. Um, this applies, by the way to whether China really wants a conflict that is addressed to Taiwan, uh, because the, the cost to China in resources and money would be so large that it would make a major dent in China's growth at home. So um, um, we, we, we are going to harass each other. Um, and China is going to try desperately to keep a niche in everything that develops in, in, in the West. And that's why they so much want to be a part of the German communication system, because if they are there, they can tap into uh, all of the U.S. information system through the German system. Um, so it's, that's an ongoing problem. Uh, it will involve a lot of investment in, in those in cybersecurity. Um, that's going to be the big challenge, and and somehow dealing with misinformation um, or, or malinformation, whatever you want to call it, uh, manipulation. Um, but you know, if the Chinese decided to disrupt Wall Street. We can probably do incredible damage to the entire financial structure of China's relations with the world. 
uh, neither of us wants to go that direction. <clears throat> so ongoing rivalry, <clears throat> and at the base, at the core of the rivalry is China's drive in artificial intelligence to be able to use that capability better than the U.S. And that at, at, at the core of that question is how much information can you gather? If you, the, the, the party that wins is the one with the most information. <clears throat> you have to out Amazon, Amazon. You have to outdo NSA, Five Eyes. Um, China will try to do that, but um, I, I just have some doubt anybody can hold a lead for more than a few seconds before it erodes by some other innovation. Mm -hmm. So your anticipation is that uh, China, for instance, won't uh, attack Taiwan because of uh, cost-benefit analysis? I mean, if we apply the cost-benefit analysis, uh, then uh, we would have anticipated that uh, Russia would have never, uh, would have never uh, annexed Crimea because of the Un, un, uh, unprecedented isolation, economic, diplomatic, uh, financial, that uh, Moscow witnessed following the events in 2014. And let me remind you that uh, the Russian uh, the Russian currency was at the bottom <laughs> in traded yeah, yeah. currency. So basically, Russia was uh, facing a default-like situation if it were not for China to step in and help and provide liquidity for Russia and help basically sure. so basically prevent uh, Russia from from defaulting just like uh, in the in the 90s uh, 97 right. sure. so do you think that uh, cost benefit anal analysis uh, would really apply to the rationale of chinese or russian decision makers i mean in the case of china wouldn't it be a perfect uh, a perfect uh, let's say uh, reason also to solidify and facilitate the domestic support for Xi Jinping and uh, his uh, circles of power? Look, um, annexation of Crimea was a calculation by Putin and his people that the U.S. simply wouldn't respond. And and it was correct. We we would have had to respond, not we would have had to show response within hours. Um, it reminded me of when the Berlin Wall went up in the Cold War. Um, the U.S. got intelligence the wall was going up, but was I, I forget it was Christmas holidays. Everybody said well, we'll deal with it Monday. Um, yeah. I think Washington was caught flat-footed and just didn't know what to do. And by the time they got around to uh, understanding it, it was too late. <clears throat> I don't think you can take Taiwan in quite that way. Um, there will be a calculation by Xi Jinping. Will a U.S. president really defend Taiwan? Yes or no? But. <clears throat> Present policy in the U.S. under Trump and now under Biden is to make it far more expensive to engage with Taiwan. Um, 
equip Taiwan better so that the cost of overcoming Taiwan's resistance would be much larger. Now, um, this is a technical issue, but I've been over this over the years, ever since my days in the Pentagon. Whatever defense system you build, it costs roughly six to seven times that amount to penetrate it. So increasing the defense multiplies the cost to China to try to overcome it. It's not just a dollar for dollar exchange. We're making it formidably expensive. And I don't think China internally can handle a shift of resources abruptly to deal with a large scale conflict. But I cannot predict what any US president will do. Lately, I can't predict anything about the president because each president is um, really, since, since Bill Clinton, and certainly throughout the Obama years, we have a slow response, um, preoccupation with US domestic issues, a kind of sleepiness. So it may be that China will calculate, we just won't react or not react in time, it will all be done in, in, uh, in a short interim. So that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's likely, but I cannot tell you what the Chinese will think of any future leader we have and whether our leaders are interested in the world or not. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, given that there is a transformation of Industry 4.0, one of the major domains um, is uh, space exploration. Yes. Um, China and Russia have announced uh, that they are going to build a um, um, space uh, station on the moon. Do you think that uh, it might come to a situation to, or to a scenario where there will be a break uh, in the internet? So basically there will be a kind of a split in the international community uh, when it comes to the international space station. So basically, once again, I have to outline this Cold War 2.0 scenario where at some point Russia and China will have their own space station uh, and United States will have to take care of the International Space Station with allies, uh, with the help of a third country. So basically, there is going to be a split uh, of, uh, you know, <laughs> Of these three power between these three powers in terms of uh, the way how they uh, explore the space or explore the moon or go to third planets and so on and so forth. Do you see a competition in uh, in, in 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 space, um, or do you think that uh, global affairs will be basically once again uh, witnessing a kind of a bipolarization in this matter? Uh, it's, likely, it's likely that we will have a, a period of competition, just as we did with Russia when uh, when Russia first uh, became excited about exploring um, 
travel beyond the earth. Um, and, uh, you know, it's very expensive competition. But is it, does it make shape history? I don't, I'm, I'm somewhat doubtful. Um, I mean, we can spend a lot of money on it and get a lot of press and TV coverage, but um, does it change history? Um, I, it's, I don't know how much China's resources will be devoted to, uh, you know, yes, they will try to put a man on the moon and, and have a space station of their own. But beyond that, um, in terms of the of the reason between um, orbital satellites and Earth, the U.S. has a huge capability. Um, you know, it was said only two or three years ago that the Chinese could take out some of our satellites and and disable our navy. And I spoke with the relevant people on this in the military and in the Defense Department, they said, well, actually not, because for every satellite they take out, we can put a thousand small ones at a lower orbit and have even more coverage than now. It's just, it's just a, a flick of the switch. Um, so, you know, yeah, we can all spend money on that, but I, I'm not yet convinced that space competition is going to be in our, in your, in, certainly not in my lifetime, but, and you're much younger, but in your lifetime either. Mm -hmm. Even though that if we look, uh, for instance, at India's uh, case, uh, India has managed to uh, launch uh, its, uh, inter so basically its space program with uh, quite limited uh, funds and resources and was successful you know, uh, with it. Uh, so probably uh, in the future, it's going to be also about, uh, once again, about uh, a prestige to, to be among the space powers. Um, the very fact that now several powers have um, launched uh, their space forces and uh, they also consider space as part of their industry portfolios. I think there is obvious trend that uh, this is going to play a major role, but like once again, like you said, we are not uh, sure yet where this journey uh, leads to. Now, another question I have for you is what is your anticipation for the global uh, economy? How will, how will all these um, transformations in, uh, in the global industry will affect uh, the global economy? What kind of... Um, what kind of recovery we will uh, witness following the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, uh, once again, you are one of those um, uh, analysts who correctly uh, outlined that um, global economy and the global trade were in a state of uh, stagnation um, already prior to, prior to, to COVID-19. Do you think that now with the... Um, acceleration of all these transformational processes, uh, this will have a positive or rather negative effect. And uh, uh, what do you think about uh, the so-called uh, Great Depression 2.0 scenarios? Wonderful questions. 
Um, um, let me separate five or ten years from now, from now through, um, say, 2025. Um, if you ask me ten years out, I think we have we're going to have a global boom. There's no doubt in my mind that all this new technology and the enabling of people in more and more countries and the improvement in regional transportation and the continuous development of internet learning, uh, it's going to be lead to a period of prosperity. But if you ask me right now, are we going to have a V-shaped recovery anywhere in the world? My answer is no. Um, first of all, in the U.S. alone, we lost um, about 20 million jobs, and we can't replace those. Uh, in in what Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, said, we'll be back from normal in a year. Well, we might be back from normal in five years, but not in a year. Um, the um, society has been adjusting. There are a lot of people who work from home who don't want to go back to work in an office, who just have decided, oh, I like the, the flexibility of hours and the ability to rearrange my weekly schedule, take time off when I want, work when I want, um, work in the middle of the night when nobody else wants to work. Um, I, I, I think that's now embedded. Um, businesses will have to adapt and the best, the most capable people. Uh, I remember back when um, investment banking about 20 years ago began to be transformed into really global investment banking. And the, the best investment bankers said, I don't want to live in the city of London or in Manhattan. I'm going to live in Boulder or in uh, uh, some ski resort. And um, we'll book the we'll book the business in London, but we'll do the business somewhere else. Um, I th I think we're going to go through the same process, but not only in finance, but in everything. You know, I'll work for you. I'll give you my brain power, but I'm not coming to Armand to IBM headquarters. Um, <clears throat> so we're, that will take time to adjust. And it means rearrangement of many things. I mean, if um, if you don't have to keep all these office buildings full, what do you do with them? I mean, you have to sell them off at a loss, um, but but you have to begin to pick up the operating costs of people distributed in faraway places because they'll insist. Um, the the um, Recovery of Europe will be harder than the U.S. The U.S. has an advantage that people are used to moving, and we are now having a huge amount of mobile shifting population, partly driven by the problems of high taxes and deficient budgets in places like Illinois, or New York, California. So the new growth nodes in the U.S. are. Uh, particularly Texas and Florida. Um, 
mobility is, is normal in the US. Europe uh, is not normal. And um, I see slow decay in Germany, um, a little, little less slow decay in France, but decay in European political management, decay in the EU integration process, breakdown in the financial structure of the euro, um, all of that is in play. China, I don't see China in a fast recovery. Yes, China's industrial output is much bigger now, and probably they are growing uh, at 6 to 8% annual rate for output. But the demand in China is not growing. It's maybe growing at 1% to 2%, and that's it. And the only way they can overcome this is they have to shift more of the economy to the state. They have to centralize more of the economy. But that will be, to me, the end of the road for China. It, it will not bear the weight of over-centralization. I watched the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, and I, you know, I just think total centralization cannot function. It will break down. So I'm not a, a believer that China will keep going at the same pace or that it will pass the US. But we have a period of transition that we have to go through, rearranging where the jobs are and how we provide for these jobs, how we provide for public services, huge budget costs, and we have political confusion. Um, everybody's wondering what Biden will do next. Uh, I was asked earlier before this interview, um, will new tax legislation pass? I said, no, it will not pass Congress, whatever is in it. Uh, what about infrastructure? I said, no, there will not be any agreement on infrastructure. Um, could there be agreement on anything? No. We, we have a, a confused new administration. We have a split in the Congress that is not going to change. Uh, we have an election coming up next year in the Congress that will paralyze decision making. Um, we're, we're essentially paralyzed. Um, so will we have lots more stimulus? I don't think so. So we're going to be struggling. Now, if you look at what the Federal Reserve staff have concocted as their forecast, they don't believe we have strong growth in the final quarter of this year. They believe we're back to low growth. I think they're right. I think they look at a lot of the numbers and that's what they see. Um, so yeah, the US is in a better position because we have mobility, resiliency, but <clears throat> the world economy is not gonna bounce back. I don't see any huge sustainable boom. I just see a short-term lift followed by disappointment. But five years out, I see huge opportunities unfolding as all this new technology becomes available to more people around the world in more locations. Mm -hmm. And a final question I have that is derived from uh, your um, uh, last statement uh, is uh, linked to, to the societal effects. Uh, what is your anticipation about the, um, the, the new effects of uh, this breakthrough 
technologies. I mean, we've already observing that uh, authoritarian authoritarian uh, governments are seizing the opportunity, um, thanks to the digitalization, to um, introduce new ways of surveillance. Uh, so, do you think that this will have effect uh, on, uh, you know, on the global system that we are going to slide into a more authoritarian style of uh, global governance because of the new tools and the new ways how to uh, basically um, control societies, or will democracies uh, bounce back the way they did uh, during the Cold War? There is already something called an alliance of democracies, and uh, there is indeed now a strong effort uh, on the side of uh, Washington um, in coordinated um, in coordinated actions uh, together with partners and allies to counter this kind of specifically this kind of um, you know uh, digital surveillance techniques uh, that we've uh, seen in countries such as China or Russia. What is your take on that? Do you, in which direction do you see the trend going? Uh, this is a, a really hard question. Um, let me begin with the, the movement, the likely movement of central banks, including the Federal Reserve, Bank of England, European Central Bank and other central banks, the likely movement is towards central bank digital currency. And if, if I'm right, then most governments and central banks will want to ban everything else, anything that's a competing influence, Bitcoin or whatever. And that sounds technical, but what it means is somebody or some body, some agency would have access to everybody's money. They would know what, whether you, you spent too much money on water in California in the last few months, or whether you watched too much porn by some social standard, or whether you are a bad driver and you're getting tickets all the time. Because there would, everything would be recorded. And that would give power to people who are seeking to assert power to interfere and manipulate with everybody in their personal life. So I'm very worried about the casual drift into digital currency directed by the states because of the uh, yearning to get rid of um, illicit um, businesses, drugs, and um, and um, get rid of tax evasion that they will put us all in a trap. Um, <clears throat> and then in parallel, I worry about voters and, and politicians. Politicians used to be mindful of wider interests. If you were in Congress, you paid attention to what the unions are, were interested in and what the governors and the mayors were doing. Uh, you had a wide span because your thinking was that voters anywhere could affect your own future. But now almost everybody in politics is thinking about how much money they can raise and who would be the source of the money. 
And that leads to concentration of influence. And, and someone who wants to be an authoritarian can understand that and will try to exploit it. I think Trump, without necessarily thinking deeply about it, really wanted an authoritarian position in our society and tried to get it. Um, I think people around any new president, including Biden, is, they're surrounded by lawyers who say, well, if we can't get it through the Congress, let's do it by executive order. Let's bypass. Voters are being uh, marginalized. Um, and money is, and money especially is becoming central. Who has it? Who who uh, will use it for you or against you? Um, so we are in a very bad moment in history, and our constitutional system in the U.S. is strong, but it's going to be tested um, quite a bit. And so I don't know how it comes out, but authoritarianism is probably somewhat on the rise in Europe. It's obviously a big factor in China. Um, it's um, it's a very worrisome moment in history. But we have had moments in history when authoritarianism did dominate and then were pushed aside. So I don't know, you know, it's beyond my lifetime that all of this will play out. But me, I, I, lear I learned, I was deeply involved in the U.S. constitutional process, not only in the executive branch, but in the Senate. And I had personally interactions with the full range of influences. And, um, and so I learned a lot. I was a big fan of the separation of powers. Um, lately, the separation of powers in the U.S. are being tested. I don't know where it comes up. So are we going to be under more authoritarian leadership? Maybe. Is it going to be easier for authoritarians to take power? Yes. Uh, is there, can there be pushback? Mm, I'm not sure. Because a lot of people are become interested in themselves and not much in the rest of the world. Um, the, the younger generations in the time that I came to Washington um, thought public service was a, a great thing to do, at least for part of your life. Now, I think everybody who's young just wants to make money the easy way, uh, or if they have to go to work, go to work for Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this was a very, very good uh, way how to, uh, to end our uh, conversation. And I'm really grateful uh, that uh, I could join you on this uh, journey in exploring the current uh, trends when it comes to, um, to, to the uh, main socioeconomic systems and when it comes to the global system transformation. And I would like to uh, point once again to uh, the Mount Green Strategic Institute to, um, that, that's an information for our viewers and for our listeners if they want to check out um, the Strategic Institute of Harold Malmgren that's called Malmgren Strategic Institute 
And I also would like to recommend you to read The Coming Global Industrial Transformation. This is a recent um, publication uh, by Malmgren Strategic Institute that you can also find uh, on, uh, on, on internet. And Harold is also very active on Twitter, so you can also find uh, him on, uh, on, uh, on Twitter and engage with him, ask further questions, uh, because, of course, in such a limited uh, time, we could not explore all relevant uh, questions of our time. However, I reserve myself um, uh, the invitation to another digital discussion where we can also um, assess um, the, 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 the ongoing uh, events uh, and, um, and developments uh, in global affairs, if you allow me, dear Harold. Of course. Anytime you wish, Belina. Well, thank you very much for being with me in the last 90 minutes. And like I said, uh, stay tuned. We are going to continue this conversation. Thank you, dear Harold. You have a nice day. <clears throat> you too. Thank you. Bye.